How's it going, Mr. Luther? It's going great. Glad to be here. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for coming in today. Good. Thank you. Uh, so right now we are uh, in our, doing our third interview for KSHS with myself, Trey Holterman. Thank you, Mark. And Dane Schumacher. Dane, can you just start with some of uh, the earliest qu- our first questions? Uh, so you grew up in Park Ridge, right outside of Chicago. What were some of your interests growing up? Well, it was a simpler time. Um, I was the youngest of three boys. Oh. And we grew up in a what was then called middle class neighborhood. I don't know if it would be even quite hit that standard today. Um, it was it was pretty uh, you know average, and um, you know my interests were really centered around um, my family, my friends, and uh, and a lot of outdoor outdoor activities. You know I was I was fortunate to grow up in the the time where um, you know if it was let's say summertime, um, you know, you kind of be done with breakfast by eight or nine in the morning and then you'd say, okay, mom, you know, Joey and I are going to yep. go away and we'll be home at, at one for lunch. And, you know, you'd, you'd take off and uh, you could run around the whole neighborhood and, you know, whatever, play cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians or army, as we used to say, or, you know, build forts or, you know, make scooters or whatever it was. And uh, you'd go home for lunch, you know, have a great lunch, then you'd be gone until dinner time, which was six, and it was, you know, it was a, it was a great time, and, and it's, uh, it's kind of, it's unfortunate that, you know, really the kids today don't have that same opportunity for the, for the most part, you know, it's just tougher, I think. Mm-hmm. I think is the, uh, uh, what do you think is the biggest changes that resulted in, you know, kids not being able to have that sort of experience? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and, um, you know, probably not a simple answer, right, there are a lot of factors, and, Probably, you know, most fundamentally, um, maybe it gets back to education, ultimately. Um, you know, I think when I was a kid, there was more um, leveling of the playing field kind of across the board. You know, whether or not it was access to jobs or access to education or access to sports. Um, you know, today there's a lot of hierarchy around things uh, in terms of um you know, if you have income or you don't, you know, what does that give you access to? And, you know, what happens is it then kind of breaks down, I think, um, some of the right incentives because, you know, then what happens is, you know, kind of people get in this obsessive mode about, um, you know, making money as opposed to maybe living a high-quality life. And I think things started just to bifurcate, you know, where in part lack of growth and lack of opportunity, you know, created strains on the family where more people had to, you know, work two jobs, be away from home more. And, you know, then you just start getting kind of a a little bit of a breakdown. I I think the other big trend was maybe more mobility Mm -hmm. um, in that, you know, when I grew up, um, there was still a pretty decent family structure in terms of generational family structure you know I know Dane has the advantage of having that you know with with your you know grandparents close by and you know you guys are great about spending time with them and you know for us though pretty much that's how we all grew up you know that 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 it was kind of multi-generational which creates a great support system 
And especially when you're kind of at the age you all are right now, you know, kind of, you know, 14 to 20, you know, you've got a lot of questions um, that you'd like to have some guidance on. I won't necessarily say want answers for, but at least have some guidance and perspective on. <clears throat> and, you know, and you're operating in a world that is more complex. And so, but if you're losing the support system of people who love you deeply and that, you know, you really should trust deeply, and then you start basically depending on other people for, you know, answers, you know, it gets, it gets trickier and harder. And I think, I just think it's a real complicated thing. But ultimately, I think, um, you know, once... You know, once our economy started bifurcating of, of what I'll say is losing the middle class, um, I think a lot of things started breaking down, in, including maybe some of those nice constructs of yeah. what made the 60s and 70s, quote, simpler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, maybe I'm just getting old, and that's what all old guys say. So, Do you think that liberty and you had as a kid, like you said, that ability to go out every day and kind of just figure out things for yourself, do you think that kind of has helped you balance kind of your family and business? Value. Oh, huge, yeah. huge. And more than that, just like, um, yeah, how do you conduct yourself every day? You know, like I always use the sports analogy, right? You know, when we were kids, um, you know, you'd go out and play sports, but most of the sports, you, I mean, the vast majority of what you did, you organized by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you got the teams together, you picked the teams, you set the rules, you settled conflicts. And, you know, yeah, we had organized sports, they weren't as kind of, you know, as intense as today's organized sports because not everyone was expected to be, you know, the next professional great person. Um, but I think it, it taught you a lot of things about negotiating, solving problems, dealing with people, being respectful. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, the other big trend interesting to me is like the, the trend towards celebrity. You know, so, you know, so the world is so intrigued by celebrity. And, and, and what happens when you think about that and take it to kind of its ultimate extent is it means, you know, because the, the theory is a cele- you know, being a celebrity is good. And, but if a celebrity is not a celebrity, you know, for some particularly broad base of good reasons, you know, well, there's cases of people who are just celebrities just because they're celebrities, whatever the heck that means. But then there's other people who are celebrities, let's say because they're a great football player, but that doesn't, or a great CEO or great, but that doesn't actually mean that they, you know, are great at everything. And yet the world is, you know, kind of pushing you to say you're great at everything. So then it means everybody wants to be a celebrity and, or everybody wants to be number one. And it's like, no, not everyone is number one. And, you know, for us, I think we grew up a little more in an environment where it was team wins. And, you know, I think that's one of the great things about this school. I mean, I think this school is great about, you know, the importance of supporting each other in a mission as opposed to, you know, it's always about an individual. Um, so I think there's, you know, that, that layer as well. But, yeah, I think for sure the freedom that we had was um, important for our development to just be independent thinkers and also having confidence because you make mistakes all the time when you're doing stuff without oversight um, and you have to recognize it and fix it. And if you always have someone else that's an expert doing that for you, you I think you kind of get a little bit lazy. Not lazy, not trying hard, lazy that you don't get to develop that, that competency. And I think it's an important competency. So, um, oh, thank you for all that. That was sort of that. Um, but I have a question for you guys, and maybe yeah. it's not supposed to work this way. But, no, you know, on, on the point about, you know, then and now and stuff, you know, like for me, when I said the comment about, you know, sometimes I feel, well, maybe it, Maybe I'm just, you know, sounding like my dad did, you know. Um, but I don't think so. You know, like I, I think I have enough clarity of mind and perspective of, you know, what was going on then and how I thought then, you know, versus today. And 
like the question I have for you all is, so, you know, I look at today's challenges for you, and to me they seem really significant for a whole bunch of reasons. You know, globalization, the pressure to be the best, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and yet, and the world feels really precarious, you know, in, in many ways, economically, socially, um, you know, um, social, you know, gaps that are getting worse, it seems, um, you know, like I said, access to education, issues around the environment, food safety, you know, all these things kind of feel pretty overwhelming. But as young people, do you guys feel that? Or do you feel, are you optimistic because you're young, you're energetic, and you think, like, we can solve these problems? I feel very, I don't know, I feel very, like, optimistic, actually, because I feel like while we are all sort of killing each other right now, like, being super competitive, everybody's trying to go to the top college, you know, like, honestly, like, at, to some extent, everybody is sort of like against each other, trying to get those top spots. Because mm-hmm. that's like how we're essentially programmed and wired to be. I just feel like that. That's sort of. I mean, it is ridiculous. I feel like once we all sort of do mellow down and like we will have all this great like competitive desire and everything that we'll be able to apply to all these problems. Because once we, because once we, I guess, fail and realize that we're not the number one that you speak of, I guess, which is going to happen to most, uh, to like all of us. Um, then I think we'll be able to like distribute, you know, the great education I think that we are receiving. Yeah, and I think that's great. I mean, to me, a good friend of mine is a guy named Tom Weisel. I don't know if you know Tom, but he was like, you know, founder of Montgomery Securities and uh, uh, Weisel Partners and stuff like that. And he was a very, um, very talented investment banker and and uh, investor and a fabulous guy. And his perspective when I give this pitch is like, you know, you're just an old man and like, no, the world is actually great. These, you know, these young kids are going to change the world and they're going to attack these problems that in large part, you know, our generation hasn't been able to address yet. And, you know, that's great. I mean, that it's better that you think that way than, uh, than not. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure it's helpful for the future, but at the same time, I do think there's a lot more pressure on uh, the youth nowadays. I think it's almost like we're asked to grow up a little sooner than history has shown. Yeah, much, much so. But I feel like at the same time, like we have these great problems that are like steadily increasing. But I feel like our access to technology and our uh, capabilities are going to be just exponentially rising to the point where we'll be able to solve some of these solutions. I think that's true, except for you, you know, for you guys in this room and people on this campus. But I do think that the num the, the relative percentage oh, yeah. of people who are getting who will have access to those resources is is actually going in the in the wrong direction you know and whether or not it's you know i'd say it is actually worse than my generation because my generation you know the computing architectures were ones that you know put a lot of power in everybody's hands right mm-hmm. now the generation before that it was only the guys in the in, in in the back office you know that had access to the big giant computer it was really limited and it was only in you know businesses or governments and now it's spread you know in my generation, though, it spread where the ability to kind of compute and store and access data was, in a lot of ways, you know, better than today. Because today, um, it's limited in two ways. One, it's limited to people who have income, right? Because, you know, to have the right technology or access to the technology or to have the skill set, you know, to do the algorithms and things like that, you, know, you have to basically have great education. And a great education, for the most part, is being, at this point, driven as much by income as anything. And I always say it's too bad because God didn't allocate brains by income, right? And, and, and secondly, you know, it's being limited in that the technology that's being given to people 
is <clears throat> it's light. You know what I mean? It's 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 technology that's there for you guys to consume. Mm-hmm. But not to kind of be knowledge workers and create. And I think that's a trend that, you know, for us, like, it, you know, not making a Seagate pitch, but at Seagate, you know, our point is like, look, you know, you don't want to give up your CPUs and your disk drives and, you know, because that's your stuff and you can, you can do things with it. You don't have to go and ask someone permission for that. Whether or not the permission is access to the data or access to the amount of compute that you need to do what you want with it, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's interesting. It seems like you have a, like, have heavy interest in education um, and just reading a little bit you came uh, right when you came out of Stanford you had a job with the port of San Francisco is that correct mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about like um, your in, your decision to go back to Stanford to get your MBA and how you weighed uh, like giving up that pretty like a good job with the benefits and down the line of yeah. having that degree yeah sure um, when I I went when I left Stanford I actually first went to Touche Ross um, which was then one of the, quote, big eight accounting firms. I think it's like the big three now. Um, but Touche Ross was one of the you know, eight largest CPA firms. And uh, I didn't have any interest in accounting per se. But um, the backstory is I had done my economics degree at Stanford uh, quickly. Um, and it wasn't a, back then, the number of hours to get the, the degree weren't, you know, as enormous as they are now, and you know, I kind of put my head down and got it done. So in two years, I had basically finished the requirements for my degree. So I figured, well, what am I going to do? You know, the next year and a half, and so I, because I had transferred in from Illinois, and so I, I, um, I basically got another, you know, qualified for another degree in um, psychology, and I specialized in neuropsychology. So basically, kind of, um, what are the physical constructs that create psychological phenomenon? And it was, you know, way early on. It was fascinating research. It was, you know, it was, it was a bunch of great stuff. Um, and so when I left school, I didn't know if I wanted to get my Ph.D. In, in neuropsych or neurophysiology or business. And so I told my dad, you know, he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I may want to go get my Ph.D. And he said, look, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's what you need to do. He said, but, you know, your whole life you said you wanted you know, to do something in business you know, I'm not discouraging you, but maybe you want to just try something in business first because you can always decide you want to go spend six or eight years getting a PhD. But once you start, you know, you're in it. So then I said, I said, so we decided, you know, my dad and I decided that if I worked for an accounting firm, I would get a broad exposure to a lot of businesses, which back then was kind of the equivalent of working for a consulting firm or an investment bank today. So I, one of my clients was the city county of San Francisco. And the city and county of San Francisco had this big problem where they were converting to a new computer system and they basically lost control of the cash system and the payable system. And so they were basically, they couldn't account for $200 million, which back then was like, you know, it'd be like $20 billion today. It was like a big problem. And, um, and there was only a few people that knew about it. It was on a Thursday or Friday and, and Mayor Feinstein, Diane Feinstein was mayor at the time, basically called the small group together and says, look, you have the weekend to figure this out, and otherwise I'm going to have to, you know, go to the Board of Supervisors and, you know, we're going to have to kind of disclose what's going on here. So I was part of a three-person team that we basically, you know, spent 24 hours a day, and we figured it out. 
And then at, so at the end, the person that was running all the systems conversions for the city said, you know, you can, you can have any IT job you want in the city. The mayor really wants you to come and, and work. And since I had never really wanted, you know, quote, to be an accountant, I was like, sure, I'll go do that. <laughs> and then just to tell you how trivial some of these great decisions get made. So I, my choices were the airport, the port, the zoo, the PUC, or, or the uh, Muni. And I was like, well, I don't want to work for the utility company, right? That didn't sound exciting. And... Um, and the Muni didn't sound that great. I mean, you know, railway. Um, so then it kind of came down to like, well, airports and ports, you know, probably the ships are cooler than the airplanes. But I was thinking like, the zoo sounds pretty fun. You know, it'd be yeah. fun to go to the zoo every day. And I was like, no, I'll do the port. So I ended up there, you know, completely randomly, basically. And, you know, and loved it. And while I was there, we were um, looking at redeveloping the waterfront. So the building was the ferry building in San Francisco, which I'm sure you guys have all been up to. You know, we have the great farmer's market now. Well, that used to be, you know, a very undeveloped and kind of nasty, you know, area. Not dangerous, but, you know, there's a big freeway that separated, you know, the, the waterfront from the rest of the city. And when the earthquake happened, they knocked it down. We were going to redevelop that whole thing. And we had to raise money to do it. So I got, I got exposed to investment banking. And I really, really liked it. And so then I, you know, was working with a guy who ended up being one of my best friends and said, look, I, th I think I really want to do this investment banking stuff. He was my boss at the port. And he said, well, if, if you want to do that, then you have to go to business school. So that's how I made the decision. And in terms of, you know, why Stanford? Because, you know, you know, really kind of for me, you know, I ended up at Stanford undergrad. I had gotten into Duke. Um, and back when I was a kid, again, you only kind of applied to two colleges. You know, you guys know, I was like, you know, whatever, how many colleges? So I applied to Duke and University of Illinois, and, and I got into Duke, which was like, you know, shocking. And, um, and I went down there and I visited, and I just got scared. I was like, I was convinced I was going to be, you know, like fail. Um, and I was just, and it was too far from home and it was the South. And, you know, so I said, so I said no, which like killed my mom. Like she was like, you're turning Duke down. Like what's the matter with you? And, uh, and, and I went to University of Illinois and I, and I didn't like it at all. And so I transferred to Stanford and now I'm in California in the mid seventies. And let me tell you. California in the mid-70s is about as good as it gets. And so when it was time to go to business school, it was just kind of natural to say, you know, if I could get into Stanford, that's where I wanted to go. I actually applied. This is another story. I don't think I've ever told the story. I applied to UCLA the year before, and I got rejected. Oh, yeah. and, and, you know, whoever was doing the admission stuff said, you know, you look good, but I think, you know, you need another year under your belt. And I was so mad. I was like, oh, I can't get into UCLA. And, and not that UCLA is bad, but, I, you know, I really want to go to business school. And so, I, you know, I just kept my head down working another year, and the next year I got in Stanford. So thank goodness that person, you know, didn't, didn't accept me because, you know, Stanford was great for me. Uh, business, but as, you know, a high schooler trying to figure out what, I don't know, we're all trying to figure out what we want to do, and it seems like we have to make these decisions very early now. Um, what would you, I don't know, if you were a kid nowadays, where, what would you want to, like, where would you want to put, for the, I guess, for, A, for the better, better of your, better of yourself, and for the betterment of, like, the world, what would you want to major in nowadays? Yeah. The, um, well, it's a great question, and, you know, I always get in trouble with parents on this answer. Um, because, you know, and, I, and again, I try to think, you know, your question was if, if it was me now. And if it was me now, it would be kind of like me then, um, which, which is, um, you know, we, we all had our pressures, too, about what yeah. people wanted us to be or where we should go and all that kind of stuff. Not, not as intense as it is now. I accept that. Um, but I think, number one thing, it's, it's kind of, first of all, decide what you want as best you can. 
um, and if you need, you know, data to help make that decision, you know, reach out to the people that you care and trust to do that. And then once you can kind of get a sense of that, um, you know, then I think you do take input from, you know, your parents or teachers or counselors, you know, to the extent that they understand what you're expressing. But, you know, it's tough because you're always going to get kind of other people's perspective, you know, not here, but like at other schools, you know, I know there's, you know, at, at larger, you know, public schools, a lot of times, you know, counselors push kids to schools that they know they'll get in, um, as opposed to, is it really the right fit for the kid, you know, and, and they're, you know, cause they're looking for high scores, right. On, on their job, as opposed to, you know, so like, you know, I had an experience with our nieces where, um, my, my wife's, um, sister's daughter's and they both, you know, basically were directed to places that, you know, to me, they could have gone to, if you will, much better places. But they basically the counselors, you know, mm-hmm. pointed them down because they wanted to, you know, make sure they got in. That being said, um, so first of all, go somewhere, you know, that feels right for you. Um, and to the extent that isn't aligned completely with what other people in your decision tree want to do, you know, be open with them and listen to what they have to say and make sure they listen to what you have to say. Um, For me, the most interesting things going on in the world today and the areas where we need the most help, you know, are on one end, you know, related to things like um, environmental issues, food safety, healthcare, uh, education, um, and tech in the sense that, you know, I think the most exciting kind of growth uh, industry is is robotics. You know, if, if I had to sit here and you know, like you know, in the graduate when the guy says plastics, um, and you guys probably have a different film that you know that that pitch goes. But um, you know, to me, it's robotics. To me, that's the obvious next trillion dollar industry over the next twenty years, and and all the implications around it are fascinating. Um, that being said, um, like with our children, you know, we have four young children, six, five, three, and one. Um, in a lot of ways. You know, I really hope that they're attracted to the arts, um, you know, maybe as much as they are to the sciences. And maybe that's a reflection of of privilege in a way that, you know, if that's what they want to pursue, they could probably live a decent life doing that in part because, you know, we could help them. But I do think, you know, it's important that we not lose touch with the great authors, you know, the great artists. Um, And it's easy to kind of say that stuff isn't important, but it is because it's all history. And history is, you know, you've heard this from people forever, and some of you like it and some of you don't. But I promise you, most everyone by the time they're 35 or 40 will say, man, I wish I had paid more attention to history. And you'll love it, by the way. So, you know, I, I don't know how great that answer was, but I think it's it's got to be highly personalized. And you just have to have kind of enough confidence in yourself um, to kind of stick with what you're going for. And, and I don't think there's a, a right answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just wondering what are, what are some of your current interests that it, when you have free time, you know what what kind of stuff would would you do or what are you pursuing maybe? Yeah, when I have free time, which to me means you know not not no, family, not work. Um, yeah, I would say um, probably still mostly um, around the environment is mm-hmm. is probably where. Um, I spend kind of most of my time in terms of trying to sort out what's going on and what kind of, you know, impact um, 
you know, myself or, or the family can have on the world. Um, that can, for me, you know, it, it, it hits oceans a lot just because, for whatever reason, I've always been attracted to oceans and ocean life. At one point I thought I wanted to be a marine biologist. Um, or it has to do with food safety. Mm-hmm. Because um, for me, you know, as, as much attention as the um, tobacco companies and the um, alcohol companies and the pharmaceutical companies um, have gotten in terms of, you know, their various um, marketing ploys, mm-hmm. um, you know, the food companies are like, fuck. They make you know they make you know these guys look like uh, like kindergartens. I mean I mean the food stuff is really amazing in terms of us not really understanding um, what's going into our food and maybe again again this is kind of a, a bifurcated statement about economic status. You know I think around this area people are much more attuned to where my food come from. Is it organic? What kind of chemicals in it? But you know for most of the world. Um, you know, we're feeding our kids a lot of chemicals that we probably don't really understand what they're doing, and it's creating a lot of um, a lot of challenges. And do you think that's part of the reason you chose to pursue a career in business? Um, no, I, I don't think I was that kind of forethinking okay. or idealistic. I, I think a lot of times, you know, we all end up choosing careers that um, are familiar to us or you know, frankly, reflect what our parents did. And, you know, like, like the great story is, you know, you know, it changes generationally because of, you know, again, up until recently, you know, people kind of kept having decent economic growth, but, you know, like, you know, engineers are usually the sons of people who worked in factories, you know, doctors are usually sons of doctors. And, you know, in a lot of ways, um, you know, musicians are usually a lot of times sons of musicians or daughters of musicians, you know, so for me, my father was, a business person. I respected my father. I thought what he did was important. And for whatever reason, I was always kind of into it. You know, like when I was a little kid, my first book report, I'll never forget this, my first book report was like in fourth or fifth grade, was the annual report of Caterpillar Tractor Company. And like, you know, I think about that now, like how bizarre is that? But I remember, like I remember standing up in front of the class talking about like, you know, this, this you know, annual report. Um, so for whatever reason, I kind of always liked business and financial markets and things like that. Um, in that regard, like with everything you've done, uh, you said like, when you were younger, you made some like tr- what seemed like trivial decisions that ended up having great payoffs. So what do you, what aspect quality do you accredit most of your success to? Like, yeah, great. Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, it's really weird. Um, I've been really lucky. No, I've been really lucky. No, I've been really lucky. I think um, someone said, you know, that one of the questions, you know, why have you been so successful? Which, get, you know, which gets into a whole other discussion of well, what are you calling success? You know, but you know, let's just say at some level I've been successful. Um, to me, you know, my greatest success is you know that I've taken care of my family, both my parents and my brothers and their kids, as well as you know the family I have with Agatha. Um, but I think for me, um, I was really lucky in that the lessons that my parents and grandparents taught were really simple, and they were always reinforced by their behaviors. And, you know, the, the, basically, you know, my, my grandmother used to say it the most, but it was reflected by my parents as well. You know, work hard, be nice, and be honest. And, you know, like other than that, you know, take care of your friends and family and 
you know, life will be good if you're lucky with health. And I've always been lucky with health. So for me, um, people, the other thing is I say, um, you know, they always say, you know, how did you, you know, what was your plan? What was, you know, I didn't have any plan. I had no plan. And that's what parents are like, don't tell my kid you didn't have a plan, you know, other than I always did what I really liked. And I did it really well. And that's my point. You know, I was, I was doing a lecture at Colorado University once and, you know, I made the comment because it was to a bunch of math and science people that, you know, they were young, they were freshmen or sophomores. I said, look, if you don't want to do math and science, like don't, you know, if, you're, if your heart's really saying you want to be a musician, then go be a musician, you know, and because and, you don't want to live not happy. And by the way, the world needs great musicians. And, um, and I, you know, a couple of kids like change their majors. And I get these letters from these parents, you know, like, you, know you can hire my kid, you know. And, but for me, um, so part of it was, you know, just kind of sticking to a simple format. But the other part is, in all honesty, you know, I say to people is, um, in terms of the luckiest, I've always known how to pick teams. Um, and, you know, I always say it's, it's like, um, you guys remember, you ever seen that show Unforgiven with, you know, Clint Eastwood? Have you ever seen that? It's pretty good. Um, anyway, there's, there's, a scene, there's a scene where um, he's, he's confronted by, you know, it's classic Clint Eastwood. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's confronted by you know, five or six bad guys. And, um, and he's only one person, and he's, he basically draws his gun and, you know, kills them all. And one of the guys on the side's like, you know, how did you know to, you know, shoot, you know, that guy first was because he twitched or because this or that. And, and Clint Eastwood's answer is, he goes, well, I've just always been lucky at the order. And, you know, my answer is that I've just always been lucky at picking teams. When I was a kid, um, first of all, I think one of the reasons was I didn't get, and I would encourage, you know, all of you to do the same. And I think that's one of the things that's great about this school for the most part is don't be judgmental. You know, don't put kids in, in, in boxes, um, you know, I always said I was friend of the friendless. You know, if some kid was getting picked on, I'd be the first person to stick up for that person. And, I mean, I was cool, but I didn't let that make me only hang out with, quote, cool people. You know, I was like, I always made sure we were inclusive. And what that allowed me to do is learn that, you know, kind of everybody has something special, right? And it's more what happens when you put people together with other people, what happens in the, in the, in the working dynamic. For on team sports... We'd get, you know, you'd say, okay, Lusso, you're a captain, and, you know, DeFranco, you're a captain, pick. And maybe Paul would, you know, pick Dane because it was clear that Dane was the best athlete. And then I would, like, pick, you know, Bobby. And they would look at me like, why? Why are you picking Bobby? You know, like you could see. And then, you know, then they pick the next, next pick best athlete. And, and, but my team's always won. And I don't know what it was, but somehow in me, I knew that that group of people was going to be more effective than the superstars put together. And I think it's been one of the reasons I've been really successful. I've just always had a great innate sense of when to change things. And like, where did it come from or how was it honed or, you know, how much of it was I was born with it versus, you know, I learned I can't dissect it. I've tried, um, but, I, but, I, but I wouldn't be telling the truth if I said, yeah, and here's the eight steps to that perfection because I just got lucky, I think. Would you say that... Uh, Studying psychology helped you later on with some of your relationships with other people in the business world and at work. I do, yeah. I mean, I do. I think, um, but again, I think it's kind of it's, it's actually an interesting way you you phrase the question. I think it's important to make sure that whatever you're studying, mm-hmm. you're really studying. Yeah. Really learn it. You know, I think that's the other thing that's different. You know, today, a lot of people want to just march through stuff, get to the next step, and then, like, all this was just, you know, some sort of hurdle to clear, mm-hmm. as opposed to something foundational. 
And I think it's one of the downsides of today's fast technology. I always tell the story. So when we were kids, and you did quote book reports, like you had to go to the reference documents. You had to pull them out. You had to read them. But you always had to footnote them. And in a footnote, it forced you basically to say, you know, here's why I got the information. And what it allowed a user to do is distinguish what was your input versus what was raw data. Today, you don't have that. You know, no one, and, and what it also makes you do is it makes you read footnotes, right? And when you read footnotes, you learn. And, and I think today, there's not as much focus on actually learning the fundamentals. There's a, better, there's a bigger focus on learning the answers. But, but, it, but it'll work against you ultimately. I mean, I know it's harder, and I know uh, the trend is in the other direction, so you have to kind of fight that. But, but I think it's more important if you learn the fundamentals, it's going to come back to serve you better you know, downstream. And, and I think that's probably one of the things, again, that, that I was just lucky at because for psychology, yes, when I studied psychology, I actually learned a lot of stuff that was based on scientific research, you know, true scientific. Here's a thesis. I'm going to test it. Here's my model. You know, all the things that a lot of times don't happen today. And because of that, you learn, yeah, there's certain traits um, that represent themselves in certain behaviors that reflect a certain background. And you can use it to, I think, make yourself... um, more aware and open-minded in terms of when you're interacting with someone and and so i think it's a great it's a great background place you know it doesn't mean you have to be a psychologist right um but it's it's you know i think it's it's a good area as a foundation as are all the liberal arts stuff so i think it's kind of back to your question you know what would you tell people you know i think it is hard that you guys get forced into oh i want to be a you know a surgeon with a specialty and you know whatever you know like come on that's ridiculous you don't know that when you're 17 or 18 years old um so i probably trend more towards not to discard that passion if you really have that passion and you're clear about it in your heart yeah go for it but if you're not i probably trend more towards broad-based liberal arts Mm -hmm. see what the whole idea of undergraduate you know, especially for you all and the people that go to this school, for the most part, it's it's a stepping stone to some sort of graduate school, whether or not it's law school or business mm-hmm. school or getting a PhD. And so the thing about undergraduate is learning how to interact with others away from your home and in a responsible, productive mm-hmm. you know way, and to see what you like and you don't like in terms of what ultimately might be a career. And and I think I think, unfortunately, I think, you know, young adults are forced too early to make decisions. And I don't think the schools are doing anybody any favors either. You know, the, the UC system, you know, it's like, you know, if you can't commit to the track that you want as a marine biologist the day you show up, you know, you're off by a quarter and like, sorry, it's going to take you six years now. That's ridiculous. And we didn't have that at all. I mean, we didn't have to declare majors till we were juniors. Like, yeah, I know there's some schools like Cal Poly, you can't change your major. Once yeah, and it's nuts. And in a certain way... I would almost say that leads, I think, some credence to, you know, again, I'm going to get in trouble with some parents for this, but, you know, maybe going to college right away for some people isn't the right answer. You know, maybe what the right answer is develop yourself a little more, do something for a community, 
decide what you really want to do and go in a year or two because in the grand scheme of thing a year or two for your lifetime but you know actually then getting invested educationally in what you really want to learn it's worth it for our children and I can really say this if if our kids um, said hey we want to take a break between high school and college and do something for the world or learn a little bit more. Like, I think we would be completely on board with that. So I don't think I'm being a hypocrite. Like, I don't think they'd be missing anything. And I think racing off and doing something before you really know um, isn't helpful. On the other hand, you know, I'm not promoting, you know, delay it forever because wouldn't it be fun just to hang around and, you know, travel around the world? Because I don't think that's what we're supposed to be doing either. We've got a lot of problems to solve, as you said. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, you, very much. Much. yeah you guys are great. Yeah, you guys are great. Yeah, I'm really I hope uh, hope hope it's helpful and uh, happy to come back. And thank but you. you know, I, I you know, look, I can tell just from this little interaction and when I met Dane at, at dinner the other night, um, you guys are unique. You people, not not this place. You people are unique, and um, use your use your attributes and your skills in a really positive manner you guys are really positive role models you know support the kids that aren't you know the number of kids they'll look someone in the eye engage in a conversation i was talking to kamozi about this because you know your name came up and he was like oh yeah dane he's unbelievable isn't he i was like yeah it's like the kid's a total throwback and i mean that in the most compliment no i mean that in a total in the most compliment and you guys all are too and it's a reflection, obviously, of a great family and great parents and probably great parent, grandparents as well. But recognize that not everyone has that. And, you know, it's kind of your job at least to recognize that. You know, so when someone's like, you know, going off the reservation, you know, cut them some slack and, and maybe help them. Because you, you guys are going to be the future leaders. You're already set up to be the future leaders. Don't let the pressure get to you. Do not let the pressure get to you. You know, it's all bullshit if I can say that here Um, I mean it's just it's it's just it's it's so fake and it doesn't help you know you have enough pressure we don't have to put pressure on you to prepare you for the real world you've already got that you know you have like you said you've already gone through more pressure than I did when I was 35 years old so that hurdle's clear that hurdle has like been cleared and so I think you know to the extent that you can try and look through it a little bit um and realize, you know, life is great, you're super young, um, and you should be having fun as much as anything else. I know that's great advice yeah. for me, and probably the whole SHP community to end on. Yeah. 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 All right, guys. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yep. Thank you very cool. Much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me.